Well, hello and welcome everyone to the very first episode of 2024 of the Coaches and Leaders Assemble podcast with me, Laura Royal, your host from DNA Coach. I am delighted to be back. It's the 15th of January. Where has the time gone? I feel like we've blinked and we've missed the festivities and already we are in next year. How are you feeling about that? And today, when this episode launches, is technically Blue Monday. I wonder how you're feeling about that in itself. I woke up this morning feeling more, how would I describe it, orange and zazzy, shall we say. I was starting to think, okay, I'm busy, I'm feeling the pressure, but what can I do in order to get me out of that lull? So I thought to myself, I'm all about being orange and my brand colours. So what does the orange concept mean for me? It's about finding things that I can get stuck into but are sure juicy and ultimately finding that sweet spot to help me make change and move forward. So I hope you're having a delightful Monday wherever you are in the world listening to this or whichever day that you're listening to this because of course you might not be listening on the day it launches. You might be listening in the distant future from now. So if you are, hi future people. Wonderful. So here we are with another delightful episode with a guest interviewee and it's the very wonderful Paul Cartwright from Mantra. I'm not going to steal any of the thunder because Paul has a fabulous introduction to who he is and what he is all about and today's episode is all around men's mental health. Here we are with the delightful Paul Cartwright from Mantra. Take care everyone and enjoy this fabulous episode. Welcome, Paul Cartwright. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, delighted to be here. It's good to see you. It's good to be on the show. Is it a show? Do you call it a show? Well, listen, we'll call it a show from now on. That sounds exactly. fab. I'm happy with that. We'll just call it a show. That sounds like we're we're famous <laughs> and um, yeah, global. A show works for me. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So, Paul, welcome to the Coaches and Leaders Assemble podcast. You and I have known each other for quite some time. We've known each other for 10, 10 years now, isn't it? Or just about 10 years? Uh, yeah, it is. It's one of those things where you say the number and it gets bigger every time that you tell somebody or we talk about it. So it's about 10 years. Yeah, it's about 10 years. That's it. But we both still look fabulous. We, don't, we haven't aged in that 10 year time. <laughs> uh, I mean, you haven't. But oh, I mean, thanks. <laughs> I don't know about me. I've definitely got a few more lines around the on the head and around the eyes. And the eyes are I mean, a bit more tired. To be fair, so do I. But uh, this is where Botox becomes my friend. So there we are. Um, that that's that's a spoiler alert for everyone that ever sees me in real life. Now that's it. So <laughs> I am kidding, of course. I have had it in the past, but not recently. So, Paul, I am um, delighted with all the wonderful things that you're doing in your life and your career. And I thought it would be really wonderful to have you on the podcast. Of course, I supported you with some uh, talks recently during Mental Health Awareness Week and absolutely thought, you know, of course, I love you dearly, but thought what you do now is even more important. And I think it would be great to have you share a little bit of your backstory, if that's okay, um, and then give some of your pointers and advice on what you do, because you are a speaker around men's mental health and having recently started up your new organisation, which is called Mantra. So do tell us a wee bit about yourself to start off with, and, and let's see where the conversation takes us. Yeah, great. So, uh, yeah, so I'm Paul Cartwright, as you say, I'm, I'm the founder of Mantra, and um uh, so I, essentially, I speak about men's mental health because it was the the founding of Mantra was uh, it came about because of my own, I suppose, mental health journey. So I've always lived with depression, and at various times that's been very bad, or sometimes not at all. I posted recently about uh, you know sometimes people refer to it as the black dog or a cloud and it, it is it, it it turns up every now and then and can be completely immobilizing but whilst it's awful it, it's something that I've I've learned to live with and I now have mechanisms and coping strategies to be able to recognize when it's there how to deal with it how to attempt to make it better the the real driver for the founding of mantra was back in 2019 so i had a breakdown and it took me a really long time to say that it was a breakdown because i thought it was too dramatic i thought it was uh i was too ashamed uh i thought it was maybe a sign of weakness um i thought it almost devalued other people's actual breakdowns um 
And so it took me a really long time to to be able to call it that. But when I look back, it was definitely a breakdown. It was, I was living abroad at the time. And it, it, somebody actually today asked me when I was talking about it, like, did it disappear? How did you know it was happening? And actually for me, it was quite a gradual thing. I started to lose weight. I started to not eat as much. I'd started to isolate myself. And it was, it, I can't really explain it. It was just, I started to break down essentially, just mentally, I suppose physically with the weight loss um it just i had no interest in doing stuff i talk about sometimes somebody else introduced me to this concept called the dark night of the soul which is essentially it was a term coined back in the 16th century by some guy but really it's a bit more for me i suppose specific in terms of what was happening in terms of it was almost like a complete emotional physical mental personal breaking down and so i got back to the uk and i remember a few people were at the airport to to greet me when i was back and my mum was one of them and she took one look at me and just said um i think you need to maybe come and stay at home for a bit and i, I didn't really see it myself but she could just tell and i, I ended up yeah staying uh my mum's for a while and it, it was it was an awful awful period it was not being able to get out of bed um just really dark a really, really, really dark time. And I felt like I was dying. And so I did what any sane person who was in that position would do and started a new business because I was in that period where I didn't want to accept what was, or I don't know if it's didn't want to, I couldn't accept what was happening or chose not to accept what was happening. So started a new business. This was at the end of 2019. The new business was providing training and coaching, which you can imagine is face-to-face. -face. Three months later, COVID hit. So our face-to-face -face new business, <laughs> immediately, I mean, it's difficult enough running a new business, but obviously when it's face-to-face -face and COVID is around and you can't do anything face-to-face, -face, then that threw everything off. We had to pivot to online. So we have all the stress of new business, plus the fact that we now can't do the face-to-face -face key stuff that the business requires, plus the fact that I'm slowly breaking down even further in the background. And I, I ended up sticking this out for a couple of years <clears throat> um, and trying to hide it. I've become very good at creating this external facade so nobody really knows what's going on in relation to the depression and those periods but with the breakdown it was it was it was harder and harder to do and it got to the point where i mean i was running training workshops um this is when it had, i think we'd open we, this was a little bit further down the line when we were back open again you know when society was yeah. was able to go out and i was running a training workshop and i remember at the time we we take breaks and i would i would go and hide in the breaks you know this is the time when as the trainers we are mingling with the the clients and the people that are on the course and i was just i was going in the toilets for most of the break to hide the 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 the, the, the i suppose the the thing for me came when it was a couple of years into the business we were running a training course and i'd run out i'd driven to the shops to get some tea and coffee for the attendees and i came out of the shop sat in my car and i just burst into tears and I just couldn't stop. And um, I remember calling my friend and I just said, I, I can't do it anymore. Um, and I think that, <clears throat> God, I'm actually getting a bit more emotional talking about it. it um, I think it was, I think it was the moment when I thought this is, this is the bottom. Like this, I thought it was that the breakdown was, was happening for probably a couple of years, but I think this was the, the point when I thought this is really bad, I ended up resigning from the business. So this thing that I'd spent a couple of years trying to build, I just left. Um, I, I I just took six months off because I couldn't. I, I needed to sort it out. Really, um, I think I just tried to march through it, and it just ended up being the worst thing I could have done. So I took six months off, and then. I decided to start seeing a therapist, which was one of the best decisions I'd ever made. That then ended up being for nearly three years. Um, and because of that, I dealt with things that I think were primarily the causes of the breakdown. So there was stuff around my self-esteem, my sense of self, my relationship with my dad. 
that was a massive thing and all of the stuff that was related to that um and the therapy just enabled me to to recognize what was happening to talk about it as a breakdown and to i suppose just be okay with it i think there was a real sense of guilt and shame and just yeah i i think it i think it enabled me to just be okay with what was happening and and then i got to a point where i i actually went back into my previous career which was fundraising but i i'd lost the passion for it you know i'd had my own business now and i only went back into that really because i needed money you know i'd taken six months yeah, out and I'd, I'd run out of money and so I ended up in the fundraising job, but for, I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, I want my own thing again. You know, I, I loved training and coaching and speaking. And, and so I thought, I wonder if there's a, a, a thing that I can create that turns all of this really awful, bad thing and makes it something positive. And so when I thought about the breakdown and COVID and all the post-traumatic stuff that I still think we are all experiencing, whether man or woman or whoever, it's I still think there's a there's a huge mental health effect from that. Um I turned 40 in 2020, so there was a whole midlife thing as well. And also the fact that add into it that men don't generally talk about their mental health as much as say women do, I think it's getting better, but it's nowhere near what it needs to be. Plus all the stats, which I'm sure a lot of people know around men taking their own lives. So for example, I'm 43 now. I think the stats are between 40 and 49 is the period where men are most likely to, to take their own lives. So I just thought all of this together, maybe there's a thing, maybe there's a thing I can do. And so I created Mantra. And um, essentially now I, I talk about men's mental health and it's been really well received so far i've i've spoken uh, a couple of weeks ago i spoke at one of the big investment banks uh next week i'm hosting oh i'm i'm talking at another organization i've got um i'm doing a series of four talks every week in november as part of their men's mental health initiative so yeah it's uh it's it's a thing now and it's really nice to be able to share my story not just not not so it's me sharing my story it's so i hope other men can listen to this and in some way just be okay just just know that it's okay to talk about your mental health it's okay to recognize what's going on it's okay to reach out and to get help and it's okay to say you're not okay i know that's become a bit of a buzz phrase but it, it's really true yeah. and and i think one of the the things I want mantra to be is or, or the thing one of the things that mantra recognizes is that if we talk about men's mental health, it's not just about helping the individual. It's the impact beyond the individual in terms of partners and children and family and colleagues and employees. So there's a bigger there's a bigger picture at play here. So essentially I'm looking to change the world. Love it. <laughs> Excellent, Paul. Um, your story is incredible. And of course, as a friend, I'm incredibly proud of you and what you've achieved. Um, and of course, the things that you continue to do to support your own mental health and well-being. But the the privilege that it is to see you do such great things for other people is also just wonderful. Um, so honestly, a big thank you uh, on behalf of the world for doing that for yourself, but also for others. And I think it's really important that we do talk about these topics in more open frames and all uh, areas that we experience people and in the workplace, at home, in our social circles. You shared a really insightful post on LinkedIn recently about the experiences you alluded to at the start of our conversation where you had um you know that that time that black cloud that black dog had sort of crept back in again and and the strategies that you have in place in order to support you in those moments and being able to share that 
there'll be people who are listening and reading and you know le- absorbing the content that you're sharing that recognize actually okay so here's the things that are working for Cole where where might some of that fit for me so what are some of the triggers that that other people might recognize and and what can they be doing to support themselves during those times so if you were thinking about advice perhaps that you would give to anyone whether that be on recognising triggers or, you know, perhaps how to reach out, because I can imagine that would be a really incredible thing for someone to do. It takes a lot of vulnerability sharing to say, I'm struggling, I need support, I need help. And the statistics are are, are reflective that men don't speak up about mental health in in the local area in which I live. The amount of um, younger men that have taken their own lives is astonishing. And I do wonder if there were other support opportunities for them, would that outcome have been different? So what advice would you give for, for anyone in those spaces, Paul? Yeah, I, I think it. I know from my own personal ongoing experience how difficult it is when you, m- mine is, um, so my, my experience went, like the one I shared previously, like you said, is is particularly bad. When mine hits that hard, it, all I want to do is go and hide, and just see it out. And I, I and I posted something recently about the beliefs that tend to then crop up for me, which are just see this out on your own, hide away, <clears throat> don't tell anyone about this. Everyone's got that. Everyone's got loads of stuff going on. Why would they want to hear about your stuff? Also, I think a big one for me, and I imagine for the people, is what if people ask me, why am I upset? What am I down about? Because if I don't have an answer, what am I going to say to them? Because sometimes there isn't a there isn't a thing. It just hits, and that's okay. And so I for me now, I recognize I'm a lot of the time when this happens for people, it will be happening at a subconscious level. We won't even be aware of these thoughts that are um happening you know coming to mind so i think one of the things i would advise people to be to be aware of is just or to do is to be aware of your thoughts because if we can be aware of them then we have the power to change them or at least just know that that's what's happening because if they're the beliefs that are popping into our head they're then going to affect the actions that we take so what i would say is just be aware of what's going on for you what i would also invite people to do is get into the habit of changing or replacing those thoughts with more um with thoughts that work best for you so i'll give you an example so go away and hide see this on your own i say to myself actually no i'm i'm not going to go and hide here i have people around me who love me and who care about me and actually they would want to know if this is happening even that alone is is a challenge to that thought if you want to go even further is like um Okay, and what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to reach out to people. I'm actually going to give somebody a call. Or if when my partner comes home or when I speak to my friend, I'm going to mention that I'm I'm actually feeling a bit down. It, I think a lot of people think it needs to be a big show or it, it's a big um you know a, a big deal. I'm not I'm not minimizing <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but I think sometimes in our head we might think it's massive and therefore it's it's insurmountable to be able to deal with. I think the language around this is really important as well. I remember speaking to somebody recently and they said, the term reach out doesn't work for me. And I said, okay, then, well, what does work for you? And he said, actually, it'd probably be okay just to have a chat with somebody. And I said, okay, well, just do that then. And it doesn't have to be this grand, my mental health is in a bad place. It can just be a conversation that you were maybe already planning to have with somebody and you just weave it in there and just say look i'm not feeling great today i think the thing to remember is that we we have people that care about us and love us and want us to be okay but when this thing happens it's probably further it's the furthest away from our thoughts um in terms of yeah what is coming what is coming to mind the biggest thing for me is 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 talking to people is 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 reaching well reaching out if that works for you or talking or just connecting or sharing what's going on for you in whatever way is best because it's always been the thing that's worked for me it's it's telling other people and i think as men 
we have this idea of you know in order to be manly or in order to you know masculinity and strength and pull your boots up and whatever else it is you know man up the horrendous phrase yeah the they the, that's the thing that can stop us and i think we need to break down this idea of masculinity as being all of the things that stop us from sharing when we need to share of being open and vulnerable and honest and sincere and not being afraid you know i know we say uh, people will have heard this all the time but if we'd broken a leg or if we'd got a toothache or i don't know if we'd sprained our ankle we wouldn't think twice about saying to somebody there is something there is something not right there is you know i I've, i'm i'm hurting there's nothing we never think about we wouldn't think twice about the physical if something physical was wrong with us and i think we need to get to that same place with our mental health as well it's nothing to be ashamed of and in fact i can guarantee that if stuff is bad for people and you reach out i guarantee you people will want to hear it people will want to help and people will want to support you of course um i couldn't agree more with that paul it's so important to share those feelings and thoughts with others because you are right People want to see you and all of their loved ones be okay and do well in life. And, you know, if anyone were to say in any circumstance, you know, I'm I'm not feeling at my best, majority of people wouldn't respond to that to say, oh, well, just, you know, pull your socks up and off you go. You know, most people be like, okay, what can I do to help? But sometimes I recognise that that might not be the statement that comes out because you alluded to something there and I took a wee note of it, which is really important that when a person in our lives does reach out to use that phrase for now to say maybe i'm not feeling at my best or you know i'm struggling with something that the positive intention of someone saying oh you know what have you got to be unhappy or sad or anxious or depressed about i think for some people they are coming from a place of good intention to help remind that person in that moment that there's lots of wonderful things around them to be grateful for and such like but at that subconscious level that's not what you're thinking about in that moment where you are consumed by that anxiety or depression so how do we encourage people to have more helpful responses to those people that are their loved ones that say I'm struggling and I need help without that negative element of what their positive intention is of reminding something someone of all the the great things in their life how how best should we be responding to that yeah, it's a really good point. <clears throat> I've had it before. Uh, I think if somebody's if somebody's saying this, I think a lot of the times when people say stuff to so if sorry when people say stuff to us, we feel like we need to have an answer, and I think that's where that comes from. So in that particular example, if someone says I'm not feeling well, we think oh well the answer is to tell them that. You know, what have you got to feel worried about? Let's try and G them up. Essentially, that's a kind of, you know, like you say, the pot, the intention is positive. And also it's like, what's the best answer I can give here to help this person? I think what we need to do is almost adopt a position of curiosity with the person and say, okay, almost almost discover a bit more try and find out a bit more without offering anything from you so i think sometimes what people just need is somebody to listen is somebody to hear not actually i'll say that again it, yes is somebody to listen not just hear them but actually listen to them there's a massive difference between those two and i think it's really key just to hear people out and to maybe ask questions and say Instead of, well, what have you got to be worried about? And well, I've had this one as well as people saying, well, what you should do is, or what you need to do is, that isn't what they need to hear at that time. What they need is somebody to be non-judgmental, to be um, lovingly curious, shall we say, and to be open just to listening to what that person has to say. Because I I also think as well, we, we sometimes lose how valuable or don't recognize how valuable being listened to is we don't have to have the answers 
but just having a space that's non-judgmental, that's supportive, that will take in whatever it is you need to say to them is worth so much, especially when you are feeling so, so super low, which is the case for some people. So I think the key is just listen, ask open questions. So so somebody said to me recently, actually it was one of my, it's my best friend. I messaged her and I said, I, I feel awful. And she sent back probably the best message I've ever received. And I'd never, she didn't, she told me later on that she'd heard it somewhere else, but she said to me, do you want to be heard, hugged or helped? And I thought, wow, like she didn't go in with solution or here's what you need to do or what have you got to be worried about or upset about? She asked me, how best can I help you? And it was hugged, heard or helped. And I just thought, what a fabulous way to to respond to somebody who is really struggling at that moment, because it gives you the opportunity then to choose how you want the conversation to go. And so it's really easy to remember as well. So if anybody's listening and they, somebody comes to you, maybe use that. Do you want to be hugged, heard or helped? Yeah, I like that a lot. I think holding that space for anyone in our lives who, who come to us with anything that might be causing an impact to them in that negative way is is really vital. So that listening perspective is is so is so rich in, in its own value, and just holding that space to to be listened to can be hugely powerful. And I like the lovingly curious part as well. You know, not being afraid to ask questions and, and not being afraid to remind that person that you're there to listen and and be free of judgment. You know, t- talk to me about anything, whatever's on your mind. Tell me. I, I want to hear it. I, I want yeah. to be here for you in that moment. So I think that's vital. Something else you said, Paul, that I want to come back to, uh, you mentioned it around that masculinity and we had a kind of brief conversation before we jumped on together to do the official recording as we were chewing the fat at the start. But you had some thoughts and comments on that issue around masculinity and that kind of macho stance that men may demonstrate. So I'd love to hear more about that because I think our listeners would really would really treasure that. Yeah, so I, I was talking to a very good friend of mine recently. He's the uh, writer in residence at the Mental Health Centre and he went on a retreat and they were talking about a guy called JJ Bowler, who I think is a British poet and writer. And he introduced to me the concept of the plurality of masculinities. And I said to him, what, what's this about? And he said, well, the idea is that well, the the accepted thing that we have is this idea of masculinity, which is essentially an umbrella phrase within which sits these aspects of being a man. And this the JJ Bolo is essentially arguing that there is no singular identity of man, and therefore masculinity should in fact not be a singular concept. It should be a that we should refer to it as a plurality of masculinities. And I thought, God, isn't that really fascinating? Because I think one of the problems we have as men is that we are told that the term masculinity equals X. And so that if in immediately I think, well, that's that creates issues because what happens if you don't, if you are a man and you don't associate with that, those, those, that concept of masculinity and all of those facets that sit within that. Or what happens if you look at that concept of masculinity and you think, well, in order to be masculine, I have to do all of these things, which might be, you know, like, for example, we've seen the rise of Andrew Tate saying to us, being a man is smoking the cigars, driving the cars, treating women as property, you know, and it's, I think it's a really fascinating area and I don't have anywhere near all of the answers, if any of the answers, because there's other discussions happening at the moment that that men are in crisis. This idea that there is a real crisis around man and male identity, hence the rise of people like Andrew Tate who are stepping into that void and saying, "This is what a man is." I don't agree with him. I I think some of the stuff he says is abhorrent. So one of the things there, you know, women are property. It's actually one of the things that he said. 
I think it's I think that it's horrendous. But I think what that that uh highlights is that it's what it's somebody saying this is what it is to be a real man, i.e., this is masculinity. And I think that's a huge part of the problem. I think this idea of pluralizing masculinity enables men to find that road and that route that is is okay for them. It's okay for them to not like drinking beer or going to the gym or having fights. I don't know, whatever these awful, really, not awful. I'm not saying drinking beer is awful. Whatever these, some of them are. But if these elements don't work for you, that doesn't make you not masculine. It doesn't make you not a man. You know, I I said to somebody recently, I've posted twice. So the two most popular posts that I've recently put on LinkedIn the first one was about me talking about crying and how every now and then I have a good cry. Second one is the one I shared about uh, my mental health and how awful it was and how I'd go and get into bed and sleep and also cry. <laughs> There's a theme here. Um, but do you see what I mean? It's the ones that are engaging people and that people are connecting with and the ones that are actually, I suppose, meaning something. I mean, I don't know how much a, a like or a comment or a reaction on LinkedIn is a is a, an indicator of anything, but the ones that are gaining the most traction that are people are engaging with the most are the ones where I am being most vulnerable and being most honest and open and authentic about what's going on. And I think that's the thing that we need. So the the idea of masculinity, I think it's it's something that has to it's something you create as a man. You define your own masculinity, and that's okay. And I'm talking talking in terms of all of these things that generally we as men are scared of: crying, saying things are not okay, reaching out for help, um, you know, needing to talk. I think there's so much we are fearful of because it might not fit into that cookie cutter shape of man and masculinity. And I think the more conversations we can have around that, the better. It's it's around those stereotypes that we have formed in our minds, isn't it, about what people's roles are in society and that cookie-cutter approach is the ones that we do find that are unhelpful because it fuels those unhelpful stereotypes that then keep people locked in silence and then they don't share in those moments where they need to share the most. Because what then happens on the outside of that is, okay, if I then speak up or if I do share that I've been upset or the posts that you've shared on LinkedIn, those vulnerabilities, actually, they're the ones that that people recognise, actually, these are the important conversations to be having. So if Paul is doing that, where can we help other men do that in our lives and in in, in the societies that we are part of and the communities that we are part of? I know that thinking about uh, my dad for example so my dad um, is a non-drinker and the amount of times that people that feeling that unhelpful stereotype will say oh but you'll have a whiskey oh you'll have just one you know and I'm thinking it doesn't it doesn't drink oh but you're, you're you know you're a six foot two Scotsman of course you have a whiskey but that's an unhelpful stereotype and there's so many stereotype connotations in that in itself isn't there about you know people's relationship with alcohol for example and and you know that a man who is a six foot two Scotsman should be having a whiskey but my dad's never drank I mean I think I would fall I think I'd fall over if I ever saw my dad have a drink I don't know what would be going on but those things are the unhelpful stereotypes that keep people locked in that don't then, you know, open up those conversations. Actually, when I am feeling not at my best or having the, those low periods, I'll just keep it to myself and not share it because people might judge me. Yeah. Um, or people might then share those unhelpful statements um, that don't allow people to open up and, and have those conversations that are that matter and that are meaningful for people to move forward and make change. Yeah, the, the alcohol one is a really good example because so I I stopped drinking alcohol recently, um, and it, it, that's for me. You know, if people drink alcohol, I, it, it's a completely personal choice. I, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying for me, I've recognised the impact on my mental health, so I just decided to stop, and I feel loads better for it. I, um, but like I say, it's completely up to an individual what they do in relation to whether they drink or they don't. Um, uh, but I, I think the alcohol the alcohol things are really good on because there is there is so much just even with that 
with man and mental health and what it is, to, you know, going out with the lads and having got on the lash and, uh, you know, get the beers in or like you said about your dad, you know, well, you all have a drink, won't you? I think the, the alcohol thing is really interesting as well because it's so ingrained to everything we do in society. If it's a wedding or a party or if it's catching up with friends or if it's letting off a bit of steam, getting to the end of the week, celebrating, commiserating, you know, we always... <laughs> We drinking is always part of the thing, so it's so hard to do it. And I think the, the I think there's a real irony with alcohol as well, and, and men and mental health because I've noticed, like I say, the the impact of alcohol. I wasn't a massive drinker, but you know, I'd go out with mates and get on the lash and have a great time. But I just noticed for days afterwards, I'd be like sluggish. I mean, I'm 43 now, so the, the hangovers are not what they were when I was 23. <laughs> Um, so, but I think the irony is that there is an element of drinking for anybody, I think, but especially men, when the walls come down, it's, you know, form of escapism. And it's probably then that we, when we've had a bit to drink, we'll probably talk about stuff like our mental health. You know, it's the gateway to being a bit more liberal, liberated and open and, Actually, I might share. In fact, a guy I was talking to recently said, well, it's the thing, isn't it? You you go and with your mates and that's when you probably have the conversations about, you, you basically get drunk and you have the conversations that you want to have, i.e. around mental health and not feeling great or, you know, I'm sad or, you know, I'm not in a good place. But the irony of that is that, you know, the alcohol is probably not, it's enabling that to happen, but it's also probably not making you feel great as well. I don't, again, have the answer to that. I only know what works for me. And I'm happy to share that with, obviously, other people. But, yeah, I think there's there's lots of different things that, we again, we probably aren't aware of as well, especially if we're used to going out and doing this or we're used to doing certain things or behave in certain ways. And it's a lot of the time what I talk about is, the importance so i touched on for example earlier around beliefs another thing that i think is really important that i get people to connect with or even reconnect with is this sense of self because what i found is that when i go out now i am completely confident in going into anywhere with anybody and telling them i don't drink in fact i kind of like it it's a bit of a dare because I really like people's reactions. <laughs> like, honestly, I think if people are like, what are you want about you don't drink? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't drink. It's, it's for my mental health. I kind of wear it as a bit of a badge of honor because why not? I, I like, I'm not saying you don't drink. I'm not saying people who drink are bad. I'm saying you do what you want. But for me, because that sense of self is, I don't know, assured or I'm, I'm okay with it, I'm happy to say I don't drink. Yeah. And, and and it doesn't mean I don't have fun. This is the other thing. People are like, well, how do you have fun? Or how do you relax? I don't need that to have fun or to relax. There's other things that I do. Yeah, don't get me wrong, right? I love drinking. I, I, I do miss it. But the benefit for me far outweighs continuing to drink because yeah. it just works for me. Um, so, yeah. It's fascinating. And, and we're all so much more than than one scenario or situation, aren't we? We're so much more than the person who goes to a party and has a glass of wine. You know, you, you don't have to be. The friendships that we forge with people, let's be honest, they, we probably have relationships connected to people where drink was never involved. So I know that the friends I have in my life, I've known, you know, for tons of time we were in school together that didn't start with a boozy friday you know and and you enjoy their company with or without a drink so you know it's not about you know putting anyone to shame that that does like a drink because you know i'm a person who likes a glass of wine but i'm also a person that recognizes if that's not working for me then i'll not do it and it's having that choice and being okay with the choices that we make and being able to share that because i'm just not having a drink right now because it doesn't suit me or i'm not having a drink right now because you know i'm looking after myself and my mental health you know, no one would think twice about saying not drinking right now. I want a fitness regime. Yeah. So you know, it's those constructs that we make okay. up in our mind. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But there, there is so, a huge thing around that. Yeah. Why aren't yeah. you drinking? And I, yeah. I get it. And it. And that's why I think that sense of self. A lot of people are like, oh, it's stuff that we don't really think of, because we're 
our, our usual stuff is concentrated on i'm going to call it the lower level stuff and that's not a value judgment it's just as in you know our work or money yeah. or going on holiday or um i don't know where we're going out i don't know um how what what we do for our job what are, what are our skills we don't nobody really ever sits you down and talks about sense of self but it's exactly that thing with with this kind of example where it really helps where you you you're aligned i suppose with that identity and you're comfortable with yourself to go i'm doing this it's like what i said i'm doing this i don't really care what anybody else does i'm happy doing this because this is right for me and it but it's hard i get it it's really hard especially like I said, when something like booze in alcohol is so ingrained in part of our culture, we do it all the time. Yeah, Loads right. of different events. You're I get right. it. So if we were thinking about leaving our listeners today, because this episode we are recording pre-festivities, but we'll be releasing this episode in January. And January can be a time where many people will be feeling not at their best and I'm sure there will be many of our listeners at any stage um, on any episode thinking, you know, when we talk about these important subjects, okay, what what have I done in the past in order to improve those times when I've not been feeling great? If we are leaving anyone with some things to consider, so maybe helpful things to do or stuff to avoid, perhaps, in order to protect our mental health and, of course, open up conversations with the men in our lives that are maybe shying away from having those conversations. What what could we be doing um, in those spaces, Paul? What would you recommend? Uh, I think, um, (laughs) obviously, everybody's individual. So I I think sometimes it's, um, it's really helpful. Well, so if there's... If, if it's if, if there's stuff happening for you, if you recognize that your mental health is not good, I think the, the first thing to do is to accept that there's a problem. And I put that in inverted commas because, or, or that it's a thing, shall we say, not a problem, because yeah. again, language is very important here. But if there's something that's not right for you, accepting it is the highest sometimes and the most difficult hurdle to get over, but it's the most key because until you accept that there's something not right, you can't do anything about it. And I think that's fundamental. Like I said, with my breakdown, it took me ages to recognize that something was going on, even though I was in bed and crying at my car wheel and, you know, hiding from my attendees. The, the, I suppose what I want people to do is get to that point of acceptance quicker than I did, because I know how difficult that journey was for me. And I don't want anyone to go through that. I know how difficult it is. However, it it really doesn't have to be because like I said before, people are there who love you, who support you, whether that's family, friends or colleagues, whoever it is that you have, there will be people out there that will want to help. I think once that happens, it's it there's almost a and it sounds weird to say this but there's almost a joy in that because it almost creates this freedom to be able to do something about it you then have the you have the choice as to what you change what you do differently like what you can do something about this and there's obviously a whole host of resources out there that can support you with this but you get to choose what that is whether it's stopping boozing or doing a bit more exercise or I don't know, changing your career or starting a new business, whatever it is, it can open up all of these different uh, ways to a better and brighter future. It sounds a bit corny, but it's really true. I think if there's people in your life who, um, so if you're not the one who's uh, saying, you know, something's not right here, I think I may be depressed or I'm really sad or whatever it is that they're, they're sharing, like I said, I think the key thing for that is just that, um, what was the term I used before? Um, loving curiosity. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's so key because we can never really know what's going on for somebody, right? Um, as you'll know, Laura, we both did NLP training and there's this concept of map of the world. So this idea that every single one of us 
7 billion, whatever's on the planet. Now we go out there and interact with the territory every day, you know, so interpreting all that sensory information through our five senses in order to create our own map of the world to make sense of what's going on. We can never know what's going on in somebody else's map of the world. So all we can do is be curious about that and respect that map and, and being lovingly curious and asking those questions and asking how you can help is the best way to get a best picture of what's going on for somebody. Because not only does that then give you the best ability to help them, they feel heard. They feel like they're not just being told to, well, this is what you should do, or you need to do this, or what have you got to be sad and depressed about? I think if we do that, we really create, like I said before, this, we create the best way to help the person for ourselves. And we create an environment within which that person feels safe to actually share what they need to share. So I think if they were the things I'd be leaving you with, then then they would be the most important. I love that. Paul, I think that loving curiosity is so vital. Uh, I'm going to remember that massively because I know at periods in my life, and I know that your business is around men's mental health, but I know at periods in my life I have experienced people in my life with mental health issues, problems, hurdles at that time to overcome. I've experienced some of them myself. And then there's pockets where that isn't the case and things are fine and and you're going through life with a, a certain level of buoyancy and everything's fine and good and great and well and however a person might want to describe that. So that loving curiosity that you described, I think is important at all stages, isn't it? Not just when you recognise someone might be feeling down, depressed, sad, however they might describe or interpret that. But it's it's having those conversations continuously as a good friend and a good human being. So that loving curiosity, I think, definitely extends across across everything. Yeah, I, I was actually driving in the car earlier. <laughs> and um, it was one of those times where you're not really thinking about anything, but actually maybe have quite profound thoughts, you know, like when you're in the shower or you're going for a walk <laughs> or whatever. <clears throat> and I thought... The, the the world is really weird at the moment, right? That there is so much almost tribal warfare in terms of how we, in terms of the dialogue generally, you know, you're either left or right, remain, leave, Donald Trump or not Donald Trump, or, you know, there, there's there's almost tribal warfare. And I think what we're losing is the ability to just talk to each other and understand each other and i think and the thought that i had was it's really easy to judge each other it's really easy to form a judgment based on a snapshot of what we see or hear or or listen to and i thought god what the world needs is 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 we just need to be more curious and there's a real joy in that as well there's a real joy in not making those snap judgments, not instantly thinking something based on, I don't know, a snapshot or just a few seconds of something, but actually taking the time to think. So for example, with someone's behavior, um, I'll give you, yeah. So, so you know, if somebody does something bad, how many times have we thought, oh God, what an idiot or that person's a terrible person or, you know, we might use something a bit stronger. <laughs> But it's it's really separate. I always think to myself, I wonder what has caused that person to do that thing, as opposed to instantly jump into a conclusion about who they are. So, I mean, that's an example of, you know, separating that identity and behavior. But it's just I don't know. It's just it's I think for me, my default setting is curiosity. I just think I wonder why I wonder what's going on for that person. And I just think we need more of that, especially in this area. Well. Thank you, first and foremost, for participating and just being an awesome human being and all the support that you provide to me as a friend um, and also our our wider communities and the work that you're doing right now, I think, is hugely important and vital. So thank you so much again from me on behalf of the world for all the wonderful work that you do. Well, no. I'm uh, intending to change it. This is this Indeed. is a global, this is a global changer. That's we've got big That's plans. It. You heard it here first, folks. That's it. (laughs) So, Paul, as part of our podcast, for any of our subscribers, 
they can have access to some of our toolkits. So I'll be engaging with Paul uh, in the lovely toolkit design, which will be just posing some additional questions for people to self-coach, reflect on, maybe think about, consider. So that will be in the toolkit for any of our podcast subscribers. So to be a subscriber, you need to be on our subscription list. So head on over to www.dnacoach.co.uk forward slash podcast. I know I feel like I can rhyme that off in my sleep now. It will also be in the show notes of this episode, which will be coming to everyone. This will be January when this launches. How exciting. I can't believe that we are just flooding our way through the year and we're already talking about January, but there we are. So you'll be listening to this on a delightful day in January uh, and downloading that toolkit, of course, as well. And all of Paul's details will be there. Paul, what is the best way to reach out with you right now? Is it best to connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah. How would people get in touch LinkedIn? Yeah, just uh, if you type in Paul Cartwright Mantra, uh, uh, well, I I think if you type Paul Cartwright, I tend to come near the top. But if you type in Paul Cartwright Mantra, you will definitely find me. Feel free to connect with me on there. Send me a message. Um, And if it's stuff that you want to talk about outside of that, then yeah, I'm more than happy to connect and have a chat. Great stuff. And all of those links will be in the show notes as well for anyone. So if you haven't had a pen and paper handy or you're scrolling back five or 10 seconds, it will be in the show notes of this episode. So we'll make sure that everyone can get connected. And of course, Paul, your key purpose right now is around bringing this more to the forefront of conversation by sharing your talk. So if anyone is interested in having Paul as a public speaker, I would absolutely highly recommend Paul. I have saw talk a number of times in various different settings, and I guarantee that you will always leave with something fantastic from the the wisdom that you do share, Paul. And of course, you're just a delightful human being. I'm not blowing smoke now because you're my buddy and you're my pal, but I do love you dearly um, and you are a fabulous human being. So, you know, what you've got to share with the world is vital. So thank you once again for joining me today paul and i'll bid you i am taking i am taking from that that you think i'm very wise because you used the word Uh, i did i did (laughs) (laughs) you can take that i'll that's a free one you can have that (laughs) it's been a real thank you for having me most welcome paul take care and bye for now bye-bye